Good morning, dear Dharma friends. <laughs> Welcome to Groundhog Day. Well, we woke up again this morning. That's good fortune. We have a community to make our way to and join. That's another great good fortune. Breathing is happening. Digestion is happening. Seeing is happening. It's the 21st, I think, of July. 2020, the year when COVID-19 came to land, <clears throat> changed everything or many things. I'm Robert Beatty. I'm coming to you from my cozy little tent in Eastern Beaverton, part of the Portland Insight Meditation Community outreach during this time when we can't use our beautiful center. <clears throat> A reading from Wayne Dyer from a book called Your Sacred Self. Conversation in the Womb, A Parable of Life After Delivery. In the mother's womb were two babies. One asked the other, do you believe in life after delivery? The other replied, why, of course, there has to be something after delivery. Maybe we are here to prepare ourselves for what we will be later. Nonsense, said the first. There is no life after delivery. What kind of life would that be? The second said, I don't know but there will be more light than here. Maybe we will walk with our legs and eat from our mouths. Maybe we will have other senses that we can't understand now. The first replied, that is completely absurd. Walking is impossible and eating with our mouths, ridiculous. The umbilical cord supplies nutrition and everything we need, but the umbilical cord is so short. Life after delivery is to be logically excluded. The second insisted, well, I think there's something and maybe it's different than it is here. Maybe we won't need this physical umbilical cord anymore. The first replied, nonsense. And moreover, if there is life, then why has no one ever come back from there? Delivery is the end of life. And in the after delivery, there is nothing but darkness and silence and oblivion. <coughs> it takes us nowhere. Well, I don't know, said the second, but certainly we will meet mother, capitalized, and she will take care of us. The first replied, mother? You actually believe in mother? That's laughable. If mother exists, then where is she now? The second said, she is all around us. We are surrounded by her. We are of her. It is in her that we live. Without her, this world would not and could not exist said the first, well, I don't see her, so it is only logical that she doesn't exist. To which the second replied, sometimes when you're in silence and you can focus and you really listen, 
You can perceive her presence. You can hear her loving voice calling down from above. <laughs> Mother. Thank you to those persons who in this lifetime played the role of mother. Quite an amazing thing to support life for nine months like that. Now I'm completely caught up in cables and stuff here. Come on. All right. Getting close. Let us, we face a whole day. Do you have plans? I have plans. I have a lot of work to do today. I'm going to go to the center to give Jennifer the run of the house. I wonder what of my plans will actually come to fruition. Every day that I have plans, there tends to be at least something that comes in and changes everything. So in the face of all this unpredictability, in what should we take refuge? Why not being awake? taking refuge in the Buddha, the Dharma, and the Sangha. The way things actually are and in the community of our friends and the lineage of practice that comes down to us, of which we are part. I take refuge in the Buddha. The one who shows me the way in this life. Namo Buddhaya. Namo Buddhaya. Namo Buddhaya. I take refuge in the Dharma. The way of understanding and love. Namo Dharmaya. Namo Dharmaya. Namo Dharmaya. I take refuge in the Sangha. The community of mindful harmony. Namo Sangaya. Namo Sangaya. Namo Sangaya. I take refuge in being awake. 
Acknowledging what truly happens. And doing it with the support and providing support for the Sangha. <clears throat> How wonderful to have the familiarity of a sort of ritual, gathering a poem, a reminder of taking refuge. Sitting down comfortably upright. <clears throat> I will post the reading from this morning to the listserv, portlandinsight.org. No. If you're not on the list, go to portlandinsight.org and you can put yourself on. So what do we find when we stop and sit? It's so familiar. There's all this life, which is the body. <clears throat> There's temperature, coolness and warmth. There's hearing. Sounds this mind creates a meaning of as someone hammering. A second new house within a hundred yards, closer than that. They start early. There's the life of the hands and fingers and thumbs. There's the life of the face. And there is this oldest friend, 
this breathing in and breathing out There was a time before birth when your mother breathed for you. <clears throat> the oxygen needed by the cells in your body was provided through the placenta. And then came that raucous, riotous moment of birth <clears throat> when suddenly, suddenly the cord was clamped or cut. And there was a gasping. Your lungs inflated fully. The crying of a baby at birth is part of its survival instinct to get those lungs going. <coughs> and all the way, since then till now, there has been one breath after another. So breathing in and breathing out do provide a marvelous home base right here at the center of life, at the center of the universe. Breathing in and breathing out consciously. Not controlling the breath, but letting the breath breathe itself.
each breath has a moment of birth, a beginning. <clears throat> Just like each sound, just like each thought. It's very common for people undertaking meditation to act as though there was a battle with the mind, <clears throat> to be in conflict with thinking or emotions or to be in conflict with the discomforts, with the dukkha that arise in a human life. If I could just meditate better, I wouldn't have any of this sadness or depression or my child wouldn't be sick or Or the boy who jumped off the bridge wouldn't have died. Sometimes this gets pretty extreme, even where we believe that our thoughts create objective reality. This then leads to fear of thoughts. Much more skillful is to notice that thoughts are thoughts. Some are pleasant, some are unpleasant, some are completely insane and off the wall, and some at least reflect sort of reality. But behind and before, beneath all of that comes that which knows. And the simplicity of breathing in and breathing out.
There really isn't no predicting what will arise in the next moment or in this moment of consciousness. We chart a course toward concentration and ease. We do this by holding the intention of being with the very first beginning of the breath. Staying with the sensations of in-breathing and out-breathing. As best we can.
in one tuning, one worldview, it's rather obvious. I am sitting here. I am this awareness that observes this that is my body. I am at the center of this and I can feel my body. These are my thoughts. These are my emotions. My name is this, my story is this. My life history is this. In another tuning, Let's release all this my and mine. Let's let go of that or let it be. And very simply realize that the breath that which we take to be the breath happens inside awareness. Notice that the body exists similarly inside this big mind, this vast awareness. Thoughts, moods, emotions arise in this vast awareness like clouds do in the sky. Notice any holding in that which normally is called my body. Any striving, any clenching of the forehead to be sure that, be sure there's enough tightness and effort. Allowing, recognizing it all to be happening inside of awareness. In this practice of a sort or non-practice of suchness, things are simply as they are. The mind may be concentrated or restless. 
there might be tremendous ease or there could be some contraction around a worry, some grief around a loss, or there could be waves of joy, piti, pleasure. Resting into that field of awareness, which is not personal, in which everything personal arises and disappears. We could call this love, in which there's room for everything. No clinging, no grasping, no pushing away. Just great ease. And you might call to mind the things that you are habitually worrying about these days. Politics, social justice, the climate. Notice how these all also arise in this, that which we're calling spaciousness, in awareness with no need to change anything. Please now let's bring awareness to the eyes, that which we take to be the eyes And then notice how it is in the midst of this vast openness to create an intention, to watch as an intention to open the eyes forms and then allowing, doing the effort of opening the eyes. And then seeing happens in this vast, open spaciousness and seeing in this instance the little large postage stamp size images of friends on the path seeing <clears throat> Seeing and knowing it, how does that happen? It doesn't require an I, I, me, me, my mind to happen.
among the announcements that come to mind. I'm delighted to say that Mindfulness for a Happy Life, the book that has consumed me in many ways for more than five years, is published. It's available online, Amazon and Powell's books. Um, on the 1st of August, which is very soon now, Candle Summers and I will be offering a day-long morning till, I think it goes till two or three, a day of sitting and walking meditation and um, a chance to meet Candle as a teacher. And the reminder that PIMC is a remarkable organization that is bringing you this but also much more than this and to many, to many more people. And so I invite you to, if you're not already, take the opportunity to make a contribution to PIMC and best of all is to do a monthly contribution so that it, it really gives some stability. And we're doing okay, which is really great. Lots of, lots of, Lots of little restaurants and places that we love are gone and are gonna to continue to go. But it looks very good for the survival of PIMC. So I invite you to participate in that. I guess lastly, it's just a few days till the tough shed comes. I'm really looking forward to that. So, Inviting you, dear friends on this path. What's happening for you today, now? Do you have questions, comments? If you wish to speak, or if speaking wishes to happen, <laughs> just unmute yourself and uh, Hey Debbie, would you like to introduce us to that lovely young person who's with you? This is Harper. Can you say hi? Hi. Hi, Harper. <laughs> it's a chaotic over here. We have a new kitten. <laughs> oh, my goodness. That's nice. <laughs> nice and crazy. Yeah. Meow, 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 meow. Sorry. She's off. <laughs> Hello, Harper. Thank you, Debbie. Hi, Robert. This is Therese. Hello, Therese. Can you How hear me? You? I'm good. I'm still at my cousin's ranch and here in Oregon on the other uh -huh. side of Mount Hood. But I just wanted to share a little thing that happened yesterday. Okay. We, um, I'm going home tomorrow and we had uh, we packed up the horses and horse trailers and um, we're heading up to Mount Hood for our big extravagant ride up on the mountain about an hour and a half away and 
we got about an hour into it and the engine made this crazy sound and all the smoke started pouring out. So oh, no. we pulled over, happened to be, had to be, happened to be a big gravel turnout and we turned over out there and raised the lid and it was obvious hood. We obviously weren't going anywhere and we pulled out the launch chairs and there was shade at the edge of this big turnout and we set up the launch chairs and she was on the phone with AAA and in that hour that it took to have somebody come, you know, we got the horses out of the trailer and we had them on leads and we're sitting in our chairs. And, you know, I thought about in recovery, in, in, in my practice, I've come to a place where when situations change, our plans don't work out. I often think, well, maybe if that one had happened, something terrible would have happened. And so I had acceptance around it. But I'm sitting in that launch chair with my horse breathing in my ear, snuggling up for some comfort. And I look over and there's Mount Hood and the sky is blue and we're in shade and we have water and people are dropping by in their pickup trucks with red, white and blue all over them saying, do you need anything? And, and it was just this incredibly peaceful moment. And, and I thought, okay, I'm in acceptance, but sometimes when the path changes, I don't always see the magnificent beauty in the new moment, the place where I didn't want to go, but I am. And it was this hour of just serene, magnificent beauty. And it was absolutely not what we planned. And I just thought, I'm going to take this with me. Granted, it wasn't a strip mall in the middle of the desert with no shade, but whatever it is, I want to be able to take that. And I, I thought of the practice and you and the lessons over the years and, um, it just it's like a retreat where you take a little piece of it back to civilization mm -hmm. <laughs> and i just wanted to share that it was a great cool experience <clears throat> thank you yeah this moment is like this <laughs> right you could have created a lot of suffering over that The old me would have been, you know, 10 years ago, I would have been really upset about missing that ride. And right. I don't feel that. The ride that would have changed everything. <laughs> 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 Finally, I would feel complete after that ride. <clears throat> Thank you, Robert, for all the years. It's been a while, hasn't it? it? Must be 20 years or more that we've known each other. Yeah. I've I've come to some of your weekend ones when you come up here. Um, mm -hmm. and I've taken your practice with me. You know, I used a lot of your practice to teach in China and to guide meditations and not teach but guide meditations. And you have been with me in many ways through the years. So thank mm -hmm. you. Mm, a pleasure.
Good morning, Robert and Sangha. I this, hear a voice. This is Karen. Hello, Karen. Hello. So um, I wondered if you could speak a little bit about, because I'm kind of getting it, but I keep getting trapped into the old story. Um, is like my, I called my brother yesterday and he, he was really upset and his wife and he were fighting and mm. and he's got a medical issue which I thought was better but apparently it wasn't and I just my old story is everything's my fault and I need to fix everything which I know is an not right. Um, and not feeling sorry for him, because that's an old story that's not right. But opening to the compassion of, you know, all suffering that's there. And that I'm not responsible for it. And I don't have to fix it. So I'm, I'm just trying to kind of be present to the suffering of the situation that he's in and that he feels. and I can be present with it, but I don't have any responsibility for it. If that makes any sense, Robert. Wow, I can hear how hurting you are right now, dear Karen. Are you, are you the older sister? No, but... Um, Somehow or another, you were, you've been cast as responsible. Yeah. There's a lot of stories there. Uh, maybe a lifetime. <laughs> yeah. Do you remember my definition of codependency? Uh, refresh me. You know, I worked in, I grew up in an alcoholic family. And, and uh, when my dad died, I was in social work school and I turned my entire social work program into studying about addiction. And, and then I worked in addiction treatment for five years at a treatment center. And, uh, <laughs> and I learned some very sophisticated definitions. I can't remember them at all. But the one that sticks is this. A codependent is a person who, when she falls off a cliff, someone else's life flashes before her eyes. <laughs> it says it all. It's like, oh no, my brother's suffering. I must. And so that we, we take it into ourselves and, and, and not in a helpful way. It doesn't help your brother for you to be suffering like this. So, 
When I I sometimes do guided uh, forgiveness meditations and there's some terminology. I can't remember whether I made it up myself or whether it came to me from something I heard, but, uh, and like when working with our mother or our father or our brother, to stop calling them my mother or my father or my brother, but to start referring to them, literally changing the language to, this is the person who in this lifetime played the role of mother. This is the person who in this lifetime played the role of brother. He's not my brother. He's an other, he's an ordinary human being who's in my life with whom I have some history, but the, the, that sense of responsibility and family bond and so on is, is weakened by that. And uh, and you know, you, you said it just now in a way, you know objectively there's nothing you can do, really. There, every now and then there might be a, a phrase or something, or you could help out in some physical way. But basically your brother's on his own, he's on his own, he's falling off his own cliff. And he's having his own life. And um, we talked yesterday about letting go and letting be really the only sensible thing to do is to let him go and let him be. And here, here's the heretical part, which is enjoy your life. He may be going down in flames, but that's not your responsibility. And to, to, that letting go is so liberating. But it's a heresy because it, it violates something inside that I am responsible. But uh, that's one of the reasons, it's one of the great benefits of practice over time is we start noticing the mind going to that sense of responsibility. And it's like, well, thank you very much. That's, uh, you're already, I'm, I'm, just, I'm telling you what you're already doing. I know. Um, but, but to really let yourself off the hook, that's not your job. It's not only not your job, you can't, you can't help very much. And the biggest help you can do is to not engage sometimes. To in, maybe to engage in conversation, but not with the old, how can I help? You know, how can I? Um, I told a, I told a, story familiar to me some a couple of months ago it bears repeating there was at BIMC some years ago uh, a woman a little younger than me I think uh, whose daughter fell very ill who they, she had a back surgery and the back surgery became infected with one of these horrible hospital-based virus or bacteria and it looked like she was going to die and so the mother my student was there at the hospital and freaking out. And the kids were there at the hospital, the other kids, and, and everyone was freaking out. And then everyone suffered a lot. And then uh, she got, the girl, the young woman got better. <clears throat> and um, then in the, in the ensuing year and a half or more, 
the, my student went off to the Insight Meditation Society and did a year and a half of service and practice. She, she, she heard dozens and dozens of Dharma talks and meditated deeply and so on. And then she, she was back and that's the, the horrid uh, infection broke out again. And this time she went to the hospital and she was quite different because she had grown so much and she was just as loving and just as present, more present than she had been before. Uh, but she had no movement toward hysteria, no movement toward self-flagellation and so on. It's, you know, it's my fault. And, um, and the other kids in the family attacked her because she obviously didn't care anymore. <laughs> because she wasn't responding in this hysterical, freaked out, it's like you, you clearly don't care because you're not suffering. But in fact, she was suffering, but in her own conscious way. And that reminds me of yet another thing. Is, is, is it okay if I go on a little bit more? I promised someone I would, I don't think I did this. I promised someone, yeah, I did, I did. I would tell this ex personal experience. In, in brief, yeah, I did. I was on a Stephen Levine retreat. Uh, a, a woman, um, a woman told the story of her daughter being abducted, raped, and killed, and she was very freaked out, crying, and and so I, as was my capacity at the time, I too fell into crying with her. Yeah, now I really remember talking about it. Um, uh, I, I found that place in myself and I dropped in there and I was sobbing and, and in the room as were other people. And that evening, Ruth Dennison asked me, Dalink, what were you doing in there today in the Dharma Hall? She happened to be there for her retreat that went next. And I, I said, well, you know, I was crying. What, what, you know, uh, and I got a little defensive and then she's, I said, well, you know, what's wrong with that? And she said, well, you looked so comfortable. It looks so familiar to you. And then I said, well, what else could I do? And she said, well, the next time that happens, the next time the opportunity to fall into that emotion happens, don't, just stay conscious, present. And there's an opportunity the next day. And uh, it would have been so simple to go into that familiar old route, uh, but I didn't. And, what and it was an uncharted territory. And what emerged was a sense of deep compassion and caring for this person and for all the tragedies like this that happened. But it didn't have any of the sense of angst or anguish or it was just what's true. And there may be a capacity of that for you and your brother. It might feel like you're betraying him to not go on the familiar old route, but, it, but it's that close. I mean, you're on the brink of, of simply not going on the trip. And the system, including your brother and maybe other siblings, or the system will try to force you back into being who you've, who you've always been and may even attack you for it. But these are the steps toward freedom. Yeah, thank you, Robert. I think I, I have, been at that place that you just spoke of and 
yeah, that's what I'm going to try and meditate on to get back to that, uh, which I, that which I can't describe, but I, but it's the compassion, yeah, the place of compassion, and listening, and having compassion, but not this all this distortion on my end trying to fix but just be present yeah thank you and it it happens one second to the next says not gonna go there thank you and then you'll feel guilty it's like well clearly i don't care well maybe in this moment i don't care Maybe in this moment I have something else to do that's more entertaining. Ah, am I allowed to do that? That's weird. <laughs> yeah. It's so nice of you all to populate these little postage stamps on my screen. Be sure to check the um, the chat, Karen. A couple of people have uh, responded beautifully to your sharing. Jim, you suddenly have a halo. <laughs> The sun has risen above the tree and it's coming in my window. Hi, Sangha. This is Christy. Hi, Christy. When I speak, I really wish I could say something profound <laughs> and impress you all. <laughs> <laughs> but uh who says you don't yeah maybe um i've been um listening for a while now and uh i've been trying to apply uh mindfulness uh, similar to what maybe karen's going through that i am a container for this hard information this this sad I'm, um, my son's wife is in the hospital. She's pregnant and things aren't going well. And, um, she's got a, there's a very high chance that she has preeclampsia. Things aren't going well. So my son is calling <laughs> my husband and I, and my husband said, I just, I don't know if I can handle this. And he's, you know, he's really upset. And I said, just have to try to be containers for his situation. And Robert, you had said something about being at a retreat and you had gotten all sad and upset. And then it kind of made the listener or, or and I perceive this story as then the listener then feels like they have to comfort you. Uh -huh. And, um, 
And that resonated with me because I'm a person who's quick to emotion, but I wouldn't want to take away from their situation with my, with my own grief. Um, and so we're trying to listen and reflect <laughs> and, um, and I think it's serving the situation really well. We appreciate that he's able to call us and talk to us about this. He's not, doesn't want to do it with other people. The in-laws get too emotional. So they're not even talking to them because they don't want to deal with their grief. Yeah. So I'm really grateful trying to be mindful and present uh, to listen to my son and not get caught up in my own sadness of how is this going to affect me and how does it relate to me in this old situation in my life, mm -hmm. which brings my old heaviness back onto it. It's so unnecessary. Mm. So. Thank you. So was that profound enough? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> it, th that sounds like quite a skillful approach to dealing with that with your son. It's so, it's such a radical shift into being separate. Caring, but being separate. It is radical, and and I just think about Karen a lot, and then Robert, what you said about like other people's judgment. You're not sad enough for this situation. Um, it's just such a a waste of our time to yeah. think about people judging us. How do how are we looking? Um, it's just we gotta let that go because it's kind of irrelevant. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Thank you. Thanks for sharing that. Hello, Robert. It's I Patrick. Hello, Patrick. Uh, right. Hello. Uh, a couple of days ago, you were saying how uh, isn't it so wonderful that we're sitting here in relative safety with plenty of food, with all of these things that we can be grateful for? I think is uh, I'm often drawn like a moth to the flame to everything that's wrong because I'm I'm constantly in fix-it mode. And yesterday afternoon, I was uh, meeting with an employee who was had been increasingly abrasive and impatient, and 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 we had a half-hour talk about maybe how to handle that better the next time it comes around and I, I get stressed out about these things like sitting up in my bed at two o'clock in the morning thinking about how am I going to judiciously and deliberately handle these things so uh, I took off and uh, it was four o'clock so I ran I went down to the to the Clackamas River and uh, I do a lot of river swimming in my wetsuit and stuff and huh. I just love the way that the water sparkles when I'm coming up for a breath using like bilateral breathing and the water sparkles just in the sunlight for that brief instant. And then I'm back down to the water and I'm, and I'm swimming again for a mile or two. There's just so little many moments, just so many little tiny, just present moments that happen in our lives that we can be grateful for 
And I think uh, those can be equally as powerful as the things that distress us. It's like you can choose the distress or you can choose the gratefulness. You can go both ways. Um, so anyways, I, I've been trying to think more about things that I'm really grateful for so I can get my thinking mind out of uh, fix-it mode and stressed out mode and and just enjoy the, the great benefit of just being alive and functioning. Um, so I just want to throw that in there. Thank you. Was that 4 a.m. you were swimming or 4 in the afternoon? 4 in the afternoon. Ah, okay. The water's really warm right now. <laughs> well, in a wetsuit, that's nice. Oh, yeah. That's cool. Good. Thank you. Mm -hmm. Well, we're at 10 after 8. Soon time to go. Anything else? Anybody sitting with something that it would be that wants to be spoken? Well, let's, hmm. let's close with Om. Om that vibrates in the heart. It also vibrates in the crown. Get my timer out here. There we go. So we close today moments from now setting off into our busyness may we be mindful and kind and loving of ourselves and all beings here we go unmuting all That's totally fair. It is a little sketchy. Yeah, I don't remember. Bye. Bye. Because she's already rented the stuff. And it's for your birthday. 
Hi, Burn. Well, we, I mean, we haven't, we haven't rented an additional one for years.